Good morning, Wheaton Bible. How are we this morning? It is wonderful to see you, and it is a beautiful day to be in the house of God together. Amen? Can I invite us to stand this morning as we begin our time in worship? We come this morning with a spirit of expectation, expectant, the Holy Spirit to move and invite us into his presence. And not just with us gathered here or our family that is gathered online, but with churches all around the world this morning, gathering to worship the same Savior, Jesus, the King of glory. And we have this truth that we trust and believe in today. And we proclaim this boldly, knowing that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, to die for us so that whoever believes in him will not die, but have eternal life so can we proclaim that this morning, church, and claim that this morning as his body, boldly, as we lift up his name together. He is worthy this morning. Thank you, Lord. All right, come on, church, one voice we sing. Come on, you. Come all you thirsty, come to the well that never runs dry. Drink of the water, come and thirst no more. Yes. Come all you sinners, come find his mercy. Come to the table, he will satisfy. Taste of his goodness. Find what you're looking for. All right, come on, church. One song this morning we sing. For God so loved the world that he gave us, his one and only son to save us. Whoever believes in him will live
save and call this out now to proclaim Jesus made a way let all the people's praise sing says the Lord your God is in your midst a mighty one who will save you he will rejoice over you with gladness and he will quiet you by his love he will exult over you with loud singing he says I will gather you who mourn I will gather you for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach behold at this time I will deal with all your oppressors and I will save the lame I will gather the outcast and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. This is our God. He gathers us, he saves us, he loves us. And so let's praise the name of the one, the Lord our God together right now. I cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus bled and died for me, I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, and my Savior on that cursed tree. His body bound. Drenched in tears, they laid him down in Joseph's tomb. The entrance sealed by heavy stone, and Messiah still and all over me.
shall pierce the night and I will rise among the saints and my gaze transfixed on Jesus' face every tear wipe away Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God Oh, praise His name
to see you here today. My name is Hannah and I serve with our Student Life team. It's a new year and a great opportunity to get connected with community in a group. Groups are forming now and they're with you to support you through the challenges of life. They're a source of joy, growth, and connection. You can look through the online directory to find a group that's right for you at wheatonbible.org groups. From there, you can sort by your campus, life stage, online only, or in person. If you're not sure which is right for you, you can chat with us on our website or consider joining a life group that starts with the Rooted Experience. See you in your group. This year, we're going through an all-church Bible reading plan called the McShine Two-Year Plan. You can get the schedule on our website to print out and keep in a good spot. If you've not read yet through the whole Bible, this is a great chance to do it with a community. Today's reading is Genesis 11 and Matthew 10, just two chapters, and you can easily read it on a train ride to work, listening to a reading in the car, or while you're having your morning coffee. If you want a devotional to go with the reading, there are excellent devos written by volunteers and staff at our church. You can read on the web or subscribe to have them emailed to you each day. We'll hope you join in. That's all for today. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. We hope you have a happy new year. All right, good morning, familia. Before the preaching of the word, I, I want to take uh, just a few seconds to both celebrate and to lament. We celebrate because of the faithfulness of our God. The reason why we want to celebrate is because as you have been hearing, we have been paying attention to our budget. 
And I'm pleased to announce that God in his goodness allowed us to finish 2020 in a very positive note. We actually ended our year on, in the black, if you will, and this positioned us to start 2021 in a very strong way. So we want to give glory to God. In the midst of this pandemic, man, the Lord has shown himself in amazing ways. And we want to thank you because you have been participating in that. You are part of that. And because of your contributions at the end of the year, we ended up um, collecting $11.2 million. That's a miracle in itself. Not only I want to thank you for participating and um, being committed to the church, but we also want to thank the staff of WBC, IDP, and TVC because uh, in order for us to accomplish our, 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 or to get to our budget, uh, all of our team had to reduce cost, and they did an amazing way uh, in that. Uh, and if you want more information about you know, our finances and stuff like that, you're going to get information later on as we get, get ready for our, uh, our annual meeting at the end of January. Um, so once again, we are so, so grateful to the Lord, so uh, amazed by his goodness. We are so thankful to you and the way you have been supporting the church. And I just want to invite you to continue to do that, please. The Lord, uh, the, the glory of the Lord is important. The mission of the church is important, and you are part of that. Amen? That's the celebration part. But as a church, we also know that we live in a broken world, and therefore today we get to lament. We get to lament as we look at what happened at our country's capital, country's capital on Wednesday. As a church, we grieve over the violence, the pain, and some of the cases, and in some of the cases, the misrepresentation of Jesus' name. In Matthew chapter nine, 5, chapter 9, Jesus calls his kingdom citizens to be peacemakers. In Micah chapter 6, verse 8, uh, God calls the church to be people who love, to, uh, who do justice, who love kindness, who walk humbly with our Lord. In addition to that, the Bible calls us to be people of truth. And so we hold to that reality. No matter what we think about either it doesn't matter what we think about the candidates. The reality is that John Biden has been elected as president. The pandemic is real. Racial injustice, both personal and systemic, is real. Millions upon millions of babies are being aborted in this country, and sexual abuse and violence of women and children in this country is also real. And so we pray. And so we pray for the peace of our nation, for the welfare and healing of our nation. We are citizens of another kingdom first, but we are also citizens of this country. And so we pray and we act for the good and the flourishing of this country because we have Jesus as, a, as our king, a king that is compassionate, a king of truth, a king of grace, a king that was willing to lose his life to save us and teach us how to do the same for him and for others. May we, as a church, Witten Bible Church, Iglesia del Pueblo, and Tri-Village, may we reflect the reality of Christ's kingdom in this country for the glory of his name, the joy of his people, and the salvation of the lost. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, 
We live in a here, not yet, reality of the kingdom. We know, Lord, that you already came. We know that Jesus came, lived, died, and resurrected. And everything we experience is an evidence of his grace. This is the reason, Lord, why we can celebrate that you have been faithful to us in so many different ways. But this morning we celebrate that you have been faithful to us financially. That in itself is a miracle. How in the midst of a pandemic you sustain a church like ours. And for that we're grateful. And there's so many different things, Lord, that we could be grateful for, but at the same time we weep because we still live in a broken world, a world that will be changed only when Jesus returns. Lord, please forgive us. Forgive us if we have participated in anything that is not giving you glory. Forgive us if we have contributed to hate and pain and struggle and violence in this country. And even if we haven't, Lord, I ask forgiveness on behalf of our country. We ask for forgiveness on behalf of our country. We are representatives of Jesus. Therefore, Lord, we want to live like that. And now, Lord, I pray that you speak to us, that you make the word real to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And the church says... All right, so today, I get the privilege to start a brand new series, which we have called The Upper Room, Five Hours with the Master. And what we're going to be doing for the following weeks is we're going to be reading from John chapter 13 all the way to John chapter 17, and this section is known as the Upper Room Discourse. Now, what makes this section unique and beautiful and amazing is that we, have, uh, we find Jesus Christ spending five hours with the disciples right before he goes to the cross and teaching the disciples what they must remember teaching the disciples what is essential both to them and to us, all of that before going to the cross. Now, when I was thinking about this, I remember that someone once said that the most important words a person can say are those words you say when you know that you're about to pass away. I think that's true. I think it is true that if you know that your time is limited, I think it's true that if you know that you're not going to be able to spend more time with your loved ones, I think it's true that when you know that you are not going to be able to see the people you love anymore, every word matters. Every sentence matters. Every conversation matters. Anything we can give the people we love matters. Actually, I got to see that as a real experience in my life. Um, about 10 years ago, maybe like 15 years ago, I got to come back to Colombia after being out of Colombia for 10 and 10 years. Um, if you don't know what Colombia is, it's in South America. Therefore, I'm American as well. Um, and I went over there because I wanted to participate. I wanted to be in my brother's wedding. Um, but I got the chance to not only be in my brother's wedding, but I got the chance to see for the last time, my great-grandmother on my mother's side. 
And it was a very special moment. At that time, my great-grandmother is about 94, 95 years old. Everyone knew that she was weak and her time was close. Um, so there was a time in which we come together and we, uh, we surround her. She was laying in the bed and we surround her. And she could barely speak. But she pauses for a second and she looks at all of us. And then she says this. Love Jesus. I didn't. Which, by the way, I think she did. There had to be something else going on there. But I've never forgotten those words. Love Jesus. Love Jesus. Something similar to that is what we find here. Something similar to that is what we find in the upper room discourse in which Jesus is giving his disciples what he considers to be essential before he goes to the cross. And I find it extremely important that the first thing Jesus tells the disciples to do, listen up, church, that the first thing Jesus tells the disciples to do is to love one another. The first essential is that we learn to love one another. Now, that's verse 34, John chapter uh, 13, verse uh, 34. But because I want to give you the whole context, we're going to read from verses uh, 31 to 38 of the Gospel of John chapter 13. And a sign of reference to the Lord and his word. Could you please stand for the reading of God's word? If you're still here with me, could you please say, I'm here. John chapter 13, starting in verse 31. When he was gone, that's talking about Judas, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself, and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Verse 36 Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Verse 38, then Jesus answered, would you really lay down your life for me? Very truly I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Lord, once again, we pray that you speak to us by the power, the presence, the person, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Illuminate our minds, transform our hearts by the power of the gospel displayed in Jesus Christ. We pray for all of this in the name of Jesus, and we all say, you may take a seat. Today, in this section, we find three things. We find a command, we find a prerequisite, and we find a remedy. The command is that we must learn how to love one another. The prerequisite is what we need in order for us to learn one another, which is humility. 
And the remedy is something that we must have in order to be able to be humble and love one another. A command, a prerequisite, and a remedy. Let's go with the first point, a command. So, oh, yeah, a command. The, the command then is this, simple and clear. The most essential thing, Jesus says, the, most, the thing that we must learn how to do right from the beginning of everything, we must learn how to love one another. He says it extremely clear in verse 34, in which he says, a new command I give you, love one another. And just in case you missed it for the first time, then he repeats it again in verse 35, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, there's a few things that I want you to pay attention here. It's only two verses, but there's so much in there. Actually, three, yeah, two verses, but there's so much in there. First of all, I want you to notice that the term love is not a general term. Jesus is not calling the disciples to love people in general. The Bible talks about Christians loving people in general, but that's not what we see in this text the Bible is full of commands and verses that tell us that we should love other people. For example, Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18 says that we ought to love our neighbors as ourselves. Nothing wrong with that. But that is not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about a new command, a new law, a new thing. And that new thing is the love that Christians have for one another. The new commandment is that the church must learn how to love one another different to the way we love everyone else. This love is a unique love. It's the love that we express within the family of faith. This is not the same love that we exercise toward other people. It's a love that is unique to us. This is part of the reason, for example, why Paul in Galatians, Galatians chapter 6, when he talks to the church, he says that we should do good to all people. But then he adds, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. There's a uniqueness in the way the church love each other. There's a uniqueness in the way we see each other, we serve each other, we love each other. There's a uniqueness in the way we love people outside the church and the way we love people inside the church. It's not that we love the people inside the church more. It's that we love each other different. And because I want to be completely honest with you, and because I want to be as vulnerable as I can, this is the reason why I don't understand. And it doesn't make any sense to me that we have been divided because of our political differences. That doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make any sense to me why Christians have allowed that whenever we see a brother or a sister from a different ethnicity suffering injustice, we are indifferent. That doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make any sense to me why is it that we have allowed so many different things to mess with our love for one another. That is not the way it's supposed to be. Our love for one another is unique. 
is different. Actually, the word love that is used in the text is the word agape or agape, according to how you want to pronounce it. And the term in the, in the Bible of agape love is not this romantic love or it's an emotional love. Actually, scholars define this love as to have love for someone based on sincere appreciation and high regard. It's to regard someone with affection and loving concern. Listen, it is to take pleasure in someone. Let me translate that for you. The uniqueness of the Christian love is that we are willing to treat other Christians as if they were superior and we were inferior. The uniqueness of the Christian love is that we learn how to put other people first. The uniqueness of the Christian love is that it's not a pretend love. It's not an obligation love. It's not a convenient love. It's not a love in which we use people to get something out of them. The Christian love that Jesus is talking about here within the family of faith is a real, genuine, putting others first love. It's a word that it goes beyond words. It's a, word, it's a love that it has to be demonstrated. It's a love that goes beyond good intentions. It's a love that it must be shown. Now, this is the crazy thing about these people. That Jesus says, not only that this is the number one evidence of our Christianity and relationship with Jesus, but it's the way we show an unbelieving world that we have believed in Jesus. This is how the world knows, the text says, that we are the disciples of Jesus Christ. Not by how much we work outside, not much about how, uh, because of how much we help the poor and we care for the poor, not because we care about all that stuff when we're supposed to, but the number one evidence of our Christianity is that we learn how to love one another. That's what the world sees. Francis Schaeffer, that took this text seriously, he called this text the final apologetic. To be an apologetic means that you present a defense of your faith. And what Francis Schaeffer says is that the best way we show an unbelieving world that, reason, that Jesus is real, that we have been converted, that we have been transformed, is when we learn how to love one another. So let me read this to you. In the midst of this world, in the midst of this present dying culture, Jesus is giving a right to the world. Upon his authority, he gives the world the right to judge whether you and I are born and getting Christians and the basis of our observable love toward all Christians. All Christians. Not the ones you like. Not the ones that look like you. All Christians. We must not forget the final apologetic. Our love must have a form that the world may observe. It must be seeable. You know what's crazy about that? That the world could look at us and say, if you don't know how to love one another, 
I have no reason why I should believe in your God. Don't you think that as a nation, we have some repenting to do? Don't you think that as a church, not this church, the church in general, we have some repenting to do? Maybe, maybe, just maybe. This is the reason why we're not reaching as many people as we did in the past. The first thing, the first essential thing that Jesus wants to give his disciples, and the first thing that Jesus wants to give us before he goes to the cross is that we learn to love one another. Really, that we learn how to love one another. There's a problem, though. The problem is that we all know that. I mean, this is no new information. If you have been in the church for more than a day, you probably heard somebody tell you that you're supposed to love other Christians. That's not the problem. The problem is that we have a different definition of what love is from the Bible. So the Bible is going to give us a definition of what love, Christian love looks like, and we have a different definition. And what Jesus is going to do for us is not that he's going to give us a definition because definitions doesn't have the power to change you. What he is going to do is to show us what real, genuine Christian love for one another looks like. How do I know that that's what Jesus is going to do? Because right in the middle of verse 34, he says this. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. You must love one another. Can you say the word must? You know what that means? That that's not an option, people. This is not a suggestion. Hey, you guys, I suggest that you should love one another. Maybe you should consider loving one another. Mm, I think it's a great idea that you love one another. No, Jesus says, just as I have loved you, you must love one another. And this is the kind of love Jesus talks about. Humbled love. And this is going to lead us to the second point. This is the prerequisite of love. Humility. Now listen, I don't know what you're feeling is with the word prerequisite, but I hate, when I was in college, I hated that word. Because whenever, uh, so you've gone to college, right? So whenever I wanted to register to a class, if I look, the prerequisites of that class would always tell me, brother, you got to study a little more before you take this class, right? So if I want to take Calculus 3 to graduate quick, I have the prerequisite was to take Calculus 1 and Calculus 2. So the principle is this, that we cannot pretend and even try to love one another if we don't have the prerequisite right. And the prerequisite is humility. What, teach, what Jesus is going to show us right now is that the enemy of the unity and the love of the church is pride. And the solution is humility. In other words, that unless you and I learn how to live humble lives, we will never be able to love, love other people. Impossible. How do I know that? Well, in order for, you to exp for me to explain the whole thing, we actually got to read the entire chapter, chapter 13, but I don't have the time to do that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you sections of chapter 13 
to show you how is it that Jesus showed the disciples what the Christian love for one another looks like. And everything starts, of course, in verse 1. Now, it says that this happened right before the Passover festival. So just in case there's anybody here that never heard of that term, the Passover festival was an annual celebration that the, the, the Jews celebrated to remember how God delivered the Israelites from Egypt. Every year, they would do this celebration. Every year. And it says that Jesus knew that the hour had come. The word hour in the Gospel of John is always in reference to the cross. In other words, Jesus already knew that he was going to die. And he says, um, Jesus knew that the hour, the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Pay attention here. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That phrase in the end is extremely important. That phrase, can be, that phrase can be translated in so many different ways. It could be translated as Jesus was going to love him to perfection. Or Jesus was going to love him to the uttermost. Or Jesus was going to love him to the fullness. In other words, Jesus is about to teach the disciples what real, genuine, agape love looks like. And you know what he does? He washes the disciples' feet. That's the first thing he does in verse 5. After that, he poured out water into the basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, this is the context. They have this meal, the Lord's Supper. They finish the meal, and when they finish the meal, Jesus, without saying anything, grabs a towel and starts washing people's feet. Now, this is the part where I'm going to need you to use your imagination for a second. If you don't imagine this, you're not going to be able to understand this. I want you to imagine like if you are the disciple. I want you to imagine that you just had this beautiful and amazing uh, and, and delicious meal with Jesus. I want you to put yourself in the feet of the disciples. And by this time, if you are the disciple, you have already believed that Jesus is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. If you are the disciples, at this moment, you already have seen Jesus performing miracles, Jesus discerning the people, people's thoughts, Jesus speaking with authority and wisdom. If you are the disciple, by now, you have already spent three years with Jesus. By now, if you are the disciple, you have already seen how nature submits to this Jesus. You remember where Jesus is in, the, in, the, in this uh, little boat and the storm goes crazy and the only thing Jesus needs to say is this. Shh, baby, shh. That's in the original, people. <laughs> and the storm submits to him. If you are the disciples, you have already seen how demons submit to Jesus. If you are the disciples, already for three years, you have seen the compassion of Jesus, the love of Jesus, and the power of Jesus for three years. And now imagine yourself. Before the presence of this Messiah, King, Lord, Master, humbling himself before you to wash your dirty, bloody, smelly feet. 
Keep in mind that these people didn't wear the shoes we wear today. And Jesus does the most radical thing that anybody could do. Not only he's doing something that is countercultural, but he's doing something that is both degrading and undignified. Did you know that in that culture and in that time, nobody would ever touch your feet? The only person that were allowed to touch your feet were not even the slaves of the Jews, but the slaves or the pagans, the Gentiles. And yet we have the master, king, lord, savior, messiah, powerful God, humbling himself to wash the disciples' feet. If you are familiar with that narrative, you might remember that when Jesus goes to Peter, Peter reacts and says, you shall never wash my feet. The word shall never there is emphatic. It's almost like if Paul is saying something like, Jesus, you should never, I'm never, ever, 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 ever going to allow you to touch my feet. Because in that culture and in that time, no one would do that, and even less a person of authority and respect. And Jesus can sense that. And Jesus can see that, and that's why in verse 12 he asked the question, do you understand what I have done for you? Now, now we start to understand what loving one another within the family of faith looks like. Now we begin to understand that without, without, uh, without us being able to humble ourselves, to exalt others, we don't know how to love one another. And just in case the disciples missed it, look at what Jesus tells them in verse 13. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Verse 14, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Stop right there. Just in case you will be the type of person that will go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I will, love, I will wash your feet. Like, listen, every single one of us will say that. Every single one of us will go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I will wash your feet. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, just as I wash your feet, you wash it for one another. And anybody would say, well, that's not part of the deal. Look at what it says in verse 15. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. You know what that means? If I, Jesus, King, Lord, Master, Savior, Messiah, humble myself to wash your feet, what excuse do you have if you don't want to learn how to love other people? Humble 
yourself. I hope you understand that this is symbolism. I hope you understand that when Jesus is teaching us and calling us to wash each other's feet, it's just, it's a symbolism to explain that we are called to exercise humility. Because without humility, there is no love. I have been reading a book just for personal growth uh, from an author called Paul Miller. The name of the book is The J-Curve, Dying and Racing with Jesus Every Day. And he's got a definition of love that I've never heard before. He says this, love is the art of disappearing. It is to take the form of a slave. And humility is the art of disappearing for the sake of love. Let me explain it to you. If you want to see what real love within the family of faith looks like, you have to be okay with not being the center of attention. You have to be okay with not being in the spotlight. You have to be okay with being unnoticed. You know how many people have left the church because nobody noticed me? That's an issue. I mean, for us as a church, we should be more welcoming. But for the other people, that's an issue. Because real love does not mind disappearing. Another author puts it like this. Love is not about you complete me. Jerry Maguire. <laughs> love is about how can I complete you. C.S. Lewis says if you want to know if you are a humble person in order for you to learn how to love, listen to this. A humble person never thinks that he or she is humble. <laughs> you know how many people I've talked to? I'm so humble. You just messed it up, dude. <laughs> this is what he says. A humble person, he wouldn't even be thinking of himself at all. <laughs> That's what love is. When I can wash your feet, then I don't have to think of myself. When I can serve you, and I don't have to think of myself. Now, here's the question we've got to ask the text, because why would Jesus talk to the disciples about that? There. Well, this is amazing. When you, when you read the Gospels, uh, my invitation is that you read all four Gospels so you get the full picture of every single thing that happened with Jesus. So when you read the Gospel of John, you got this event, right, in which Jesus is celebrating the Last Supper, right, and then he's going to wash the disciples' feet. But if you want to understand why is it that Jesus is telling this to the disciples, you have to read the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22. Whenever you get a chance, go to read verses 24 to 27. Because the Gospel of Luke is going to show us a conversation that happened between the Last Supper and Jesus that washing the disciples' feet. Right in between, people. And this is the conversation. Listen up. Jesus tells the disciples, I'm going to die. My hour has come. And right before he gets up to wash the disciples' feet, the disciples start to have a crazy conversation among the group. You know what the group, the question was? 
who's going to be the greatest then? Jesus is talking about going to the cross for the forgiveness of their sins. And they're thinking, wait, wait, hold on a second. Who's going to be number one now? I mean, who's going to take your place, Jesus? Who's going to be number one? Who's going to be number two? Who's going to have this position and this title? You know why Jesus is making this statement? Because the disciples struggle with pride just as much as we today struggle with pride. Because we have this obsession with recognition and admiration and the respect of people and titles and positions. Because as a culture and as a nation, we are obsessed with ourselves. That's why the most popular words are self-esteem, self-love, self-fulfillment, and any selfish pursuit. This is the reason why we promote ourselves relentlessly. This is the reason why we put ourselves first. You know how I know that? All you have to do is check your social media. (laughs) Just check it and you will see how much we are desperate to promote ourselves. You know what's crazy, though? That in our culture, pride is normal. And our culture celebrates pride. And pride is a virtue. And humility is weakness. Don't you think that maybe, just maybe, we have believed the same lie? Are you guys familiar with the comedian Jim Gaffigan? He says that one of the evidences that our culture, our culture is narcissistic, when we think about ourselves only and we elevate ourselves, if you want to know how narcissistic we are, all you have to do is go to the gym and see why is it that there's mirrors on the wall. <laughs> and this is the reason. This is what he says. When I go to the gym, and he's being sarcastic, okay? He says, when I go to the gym, I want to look at myself while I work on myself. I should make a recording recording so I can listen to myself, what I look at myself, while I work on myself, as I read the Myself magazine, so I can improve myself. And then maybe I'll go to my Facebook, or Instagram, or Snapchat, and look at the photos of myself and read what myself has written about myself. (laughs) How many of you guys are guilty of that? Don't raise your hand. (laughs) Don't you think that maybe part of the reason why as a church, not this church alone, the church of Jesus Christ, we have allowed divisions to come in between and we don't weep when people weep. It's because we don't know how to love. And we don't know how to love because we don't know how to humble ourselves. We are intoxicated with ourselves. Now, if I stop here and I send you home, some of you would say, well, I'm going to stop being proud. I'm going to go home and I'm going to try hard to be humble. Remember the principle 
when you focus on yourself, you are no longer humble. So how do we change? Point number three, the remedy. I believe that humility, according to what I see in the Bible, is the byproduct of something else. Is the result of something else. And in this text, I think that this is the result of four things. Number one is the result when you see the broken heart of God in regards to your sin. Verse 21, it says, after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in the spirit and testified. Now, I've got to give you context here because he's talking about Jesus, that, that Judas is going to betray him. Now, listen, G- Jesus already knew that Judas was going to do that. Jesus already knew that Judas was going to betray him. He knew everything was going to happen. So the question is, why was it that he was troubled in the spirit? And the answer, in my opinion, is because regardless, even if Jesus in his humanity knew it all, the fact is this. Our sin grieves him. My sin grieves him. My lack of love grieves him. My pride grieves him. The reason why Jesus is emotionally broken and emotionally broke is because my sin hurts him. So if you want to learn how to love one another and humble yourself, you must learn how to see your sin and what your sin does to him. He's so attached to us that whenever we sin, we hurt him. If you're a parent, you experience that with your kids. Number two, you got to learn how to see yourself at the table. I want to show you that picture. This is coming from a book called The Final Days of Jesus. Because the way Jesus arranged the disciples is extremely important, you know? You can see that Peter, the one that is going to deny him, is sitting at the table, diagonal to Jesus. Jesus is right in the middle because the host would always sit in the middle as the most important person of the party. But the two people sitting next to him are the people in a position of honor. Now, on one end, you have uh, John, which is, uh, you could say, John describes himself as the disciple loved by Jesus, but Lucas is sitting on the other side. Judas. Don't you find that significant? This is the thing. You got to compare Judas and John. Listen to this. The reason why Judas, after he's sitting in the position of honor, the reason why Judas does not accept, that is not embracing Jesus is because he rejected the place that the Lord had given him. On the other hand, look at John, who does not introduce himself as John sitting in the place of honor. John introduces himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. Do you know why that's so important? Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you have or you don't have. 
The greatness we have is that our Lord loved us. That's why he went to the cross. That's why he died. And that's why he resurrected. Not so we can introduce ourselves like Hannibal, the executive pastor of preaching of WBC. But as Hannibal, a person like Judas, that has been loved by Christ. Do you see yourself like that? And number three, you got to learn how to see yourself having your feet being washed. Now, I don't have time to read all of this, but I just want to tell you that Jesus washed Judas' feet. He didn't wash his John's feet. I would wash his feet. He washed Judah's feet. It's almost like if Jesus is telling Judas, I know what you're going to do. I still want to wash you. I still want to go to the cross to wash you. Do you see Jesus washing your feet at the cross? And number four, you got to see Jesus giving you bread. Um, This for me is the most important image in the entire chapter. I've shared this with you, but when Jesus grabs the piece of bread and gives it to Judas, he's doing something that in that culture and at that time was completely acceptable. If you would do that to anybody, you are saying you are accepted. You are welcome to my table. I want you for me. And he does that to Judas. Knowing that he will betray him. I want you for me. And he rejected him. I am Judas. You are Judas. And he gave you bread. Did you take it? Did you take it? Let's pray. Lord, we know that humility is not one of those things that we could just work on. Lord, we know that humility is the byproduct of us seeing ourselves sitting at the table, seeing ourselves, seeing our sin, what our sin does to you, seeing ourselves being washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, and seeing ourselves as being accepted and welcome to your table. Please, I pray that by the power of the Spirit, you help us believe that. Not just so we could humble, learn how to humble ourselves, but just so we can learn how to love one another. Please make it happen. And we pray for all this in the name of Jesus and the church says. Church, let's stand together. In a moment, we are going to take communion together. We're going to remember and reenact that Passover meal. We're going to be reminded of the cost that Jesus paid so that we could be free, so that we could be saved, so that we could be accepted.
But before we do that, we want to sing this song that our team has written for this very purpose, and it's to prepare our hearts before we come to the table to remind ourselves of God's amazing love for us. So let's sing this song together. This is called At Your Table. We come to the table Invited by the one who is faithful Who gave his life for us And we are broken But through the body and the blood We're made Sin is forgiven by this act of perfect love And something happens when we approach the throne of God Lives are changing as we remember what He's done So we sing, how wonderful
me take a seat. At this moment, we want to celebrate communion. So whether you are here or you are at home, this is the time in which we're going to get to see ourselves sitting at the table. Listen, I don't know if you are the Judas type. And I don't know if you already understand that you are the John type. What I do know is that I was Judas, and now I'm John. I have betrayed Jesus, and because he died for me, now I am loved by him. Do you see yourself like that? This is for you if you're a believer already. If you're not a believer, this is the time in which you can sur surrender your life to him. And what we're going to do is I'm going to ask you to release the first cover of your cup for those of you that are here in the sanctuary. And I want you to hold the bread in your hands. And I want you to imagine Jesus extending this bread to you and saying something like, I know what you have done. I know how much you have struggled. I know how much you have sinned. But I die for you. And I want you for me. You may participate. And now you can release the second cover of the cup. And here's the word of Jesus. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. It is this blood that makes you acceptable to him. You may drink. Lord, we pray that just like these elements enter into our system, the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that we have been invited to the table, the beautiful reality that we have, made, that we have been turned into a beautiful family that ought to love one another, the reality that our Lord and Savior humbled himself in order to elevate us and save us. May that truth, may those truths enter into our hearts and stay there. And we pray for that in the name of Jesus. And we say, let's continue worshiping the Lord. together as our as our response we give it all to him
One of the beautiful things about John chapter 13 through 17 is that this is the set of teachings Jesus gives the disciples before he sent them into the world. And I'm going to ask uh, Shelton Thompson, Thompson the Ford to come to the stage because today we have the blessing to send as a church and to bless uh, as a church uh, Shelton, as he's going to go for two years to the Dominican Republic, which is a place where our worship pastor comes from. It's all right over there. And um, we are so grateful that we get to see one of our own surrendering his life for the sake of others. How about if we give glory to God for that? Now we want to pray for a Shelton Thompson, the fourth, the fourth. There's got to be more names in your family, I'm assuming. Can you please reach out? We're going to pray for him. Lord, we thank you so much for your love and your mercy. What a beautiful evidence of your grace, your power, and your love that we get to see a member of our church humbling himself to go to a different place to love other people. I pray, Lord, that you may be with him. I pray, Lord, that you protect him and use him for your glory. I pray, Lord, that the kids that he's going to be working with and kids alive may be blessed by the gifts that you are giving him and by the love that he displays, which is your love. Please be with him. And now, Lord, as a church, we want to receive the blessing that Jesus Christ guarantees for us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. And the church says, we love you. Thanks for being here. Church, you are sent. Have a blessed day. Thank you, Lord.